Thank you for listening to the Matt's Movie Reviews podcast, available on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, and Stitcher. Also, please follow Matt's Movie Reviews on Facebook, YouTube, Parlor, and Instagram. And of course, be sure to visit www.mattsmoviereviews.net for the latest reviews, top 10 lists, and more. Now, on to the show. This is the real Africa, the most beautiful place in okay, the world. Okay, okay, I've seen the line. <laughs> this is a small vulnerable community, and it is my duty to protect it. If you take me to where you make it, you will have a lot more than a thousand dollars coming in. This drug is insane. You see your own future. Hello and welcome to the Matt's Movie Reviews Podcast. I am your host, Matthew Perkovich, and this is episode number 329. Out now on digital in the UK and releasing the 16th of April in the US is Imperial Blue, a crime drama in which an American drug runner makes his way to a small village in Uganda to find a sacred blue herb that, when consumed, grants the user visions of the future. Instead, he finds himself embroiled in a battle for land between the daughter of a witch doctor and a corrupt pastor. A cautionary tale in which drugs, religion and greed take center stage in this journey into darkness, Imperial Blue also marks the impressive feature directorial debut of Dan Moss, who I'm glad to say joins me now on the Matt's Movie Reviews podcast. Dan, thank you very much for joining me. Thanks for having me. So the background to this whole production is fascinating. Since 2011, you've been teaching at a film school in Uganda. Um, How was it that you find yourself in East Africa uh, teaching people in Uganda about um, filmmaking? Well, I mean, the first foray out there was made by um, our producer, one of our producers, David Cecil, who still lives there. Um, and he was he went there on a sort of charity mission and was meant to stay a few weeks, but absolutely fell in love with the country and, and moved out there. Um, me and him have been working on various projects for over 25 years now. We started off um, making music together and putting on some events and then got more and more interested in film. So as soon as he was set up there, he was like, Dan, you've got to come out here. The like the locations are amazing and just people are, are really hungry to learn about film and make film. And so first opportunity I had, I went out there and stayed for a few months and, and, and taught a semester there. At what point did the um, idea for Imperial Bloom come into play around, around this time? So um, it was a number of years later that uh, after we'd made a short there and started working on some projects um, that Imperial Blue came about. Originally, we were going to create a film faculty as part of a university that was going to be set up in Nyagatari in neighbouring Rwanda. Mm. Um, when that fell through... Uh, we we were still intent on on teaching and felt that what the students really needed was an opportunity to to learn on set because there's so few productions going on there. This sort of dovetailed with mine and David's ambitions to make a feature. Um, 
and being really interested and excited by thought-provoking sci-fi and magical realism, um, I was intent on finding an idea that would that would work there, but would use practical effects because the I absolutely hate is one of my biggest uh, bugbears is really bad CGI. Yeah, I think it totally brings down a film. You know. Yeah. Absolutely. That's something that really bothers me too. But it's really cool to see lately. I don't know if you've noticed as well, a lot of productions are going back to more kind of practical effects with some of their work. Yeah, I mean, I love practical effects. There's there's some films from the 70s and 80s, you know, that I think the effects still hold up because they're all practical. And I think people have realised that although there's a lot of stuff that can be done on a computer, you know, you're never going to get that sort of artistic touches that you do if you do it practically. Something I really appreciate about Imperial Blue is that it's an original story. How important was it to kind of stay away from, I don't, I don't, I don't want to put too many uh, kind of uh, stereotype on the, what type of films come out of Uganda, but it seems like most of the time it might deal with politics or perhaps with poverty. Uh, your film kind of touches on both, but this is more of an original story. How important was it to get that aspect down uh, as opposed to kind of going back to the norm of what a film might look like from Uganda? Oh, it was very important to us, both in the writing and the production of the piece. The last thing we wanted to do was uh, create this, you know, um, a film that was that sort of treaded along the lines of what you'd expect, you know, poverty, AIDS and, you know, things where you just saw like a sort of village as you'd imagine it, but, you know, and the, the Westerners would come and help everybody. I mean, that was, that was definitely the last thing we wanted to do. And the Ugandans responded to that brilliantly because that's the last thing they want to be involved in as well. You know, Um, this, this idea of cinema pushing the idea of the white savior is something I think we've all had enough of. Mm. Um, You know, independent films, usually are a struggle to get made. And I'm just curious about making a film in Uganda. I know there are many talented filmmakers. You will have worked alongside them. You will have taught many of them um, and a lot of talented crew. But is there necessarily a film industry um, over there? Um, It's burgeoning. You know, it's uh, they're starting to get stuff going. So, you know, they make a lot of their own TV a lot of soap operas. So, you know, they've got people going out and shooting stuff and they've got like people coming up now who wanting to make things that are a bit more experimental. They obviously get lots of sort of um, charity films that they make money from. Um, So there is a small industry and they occasionally have Hollywood productions like um, Queen of Catway that was Mm. executive produced by Disney uh, or going back a few years further, Last King of Scotland. So, you know, they get these sort of bigger productions coming in and then they're doing their TV stuff. So there is stuff happening. But, you know, like everywhere, independent cinema is sort of the last thing that, that gets going. What are resources like over there in regards to film equipment, et cetera? Are you able to access the things needed to make your film work or do you have to kind of like import things from back from the UK, for example? Um, it, it depends what you want, really. So there's a there's a great rental company in Kampala called Cams and Grips that's run by a Belgian guy who lives there permanently now. Hmm. So you can get sort of red cameras, some lenses, 
in terms of camera kit and and sound kit like Lavelle mics and stuff, it, it, it's kind of all right. But when you start to move on to lights, it becomes very difficult. And we actually, it was cheaper for us to pay for a mate of ours to put loads of buy lights here in the UK, put them all in a bag and bring them over there, then hire them from a company for six weeks. Wow. Well, I'm sure you didn't expect that to be the case. Yeah, I mean, there's certain things that you just you like that you get there and you're like, how come they haven't got this or how come they they don't think about that? But then there's other massive boons there that, that you wouldn't get anywhere else, you know, Um, so swings and roundabouts. I want to talk about the casting of the film and the first um, um, actor I want to talk about, and forgive me if my pronunciation is wrong, um, Esteri Tebandeke, is that correct? Yeah, that's good. Good Excellent. pronunciation. Um, she plays the role of what I mentioned in my um, summary, the daughter of a, of a witch, witch doctor who just passes away. She has this land that a corrupt pastor is trying to take off her. I thought that she was absolutely fantastic uh, in the movie. Um, my favourite performance, hands down, in, in, the, role, in, the, in the film. Um, what was it like casting her? Did you know of her work beforehand? Um, and did you work with her at the film school, for example? Um, so uh, I knew that I needed someone very good for the role of Chisachi. She's the sort of moral and emotional centre of the film in many respects. Um, and uh, the acting talent there is actually very good, far higher than I, than I ever expected. Um, they do a lot of theatre stuff as well as this sort of t- TV stuff I was talking about earlier. Um, mm. But she was very difficult to cast and I saw a lot of actresses um, and we'd got to the sort of bottom of our list and we hadn't found anyone. And um, someone who was working with us as a community outreach officer uh, drew, drew my attention to um, Asteri. And uh, at that time, she was doing a, a one-woman show at the National Museum. Um, and I went to see her in a one-woman show and she absolutely blew me away. I mean... She was she was just charismatic and and brilliant and so believable. Um, and then I, I managed to to audition her. Um, she did the audition and she was good. But when I offered her the part, she was she was very reticent. Um, she was like, I very much want to be a part of this film, but I always get cast in these sort of roles. Mm. Eventually, I was able to talk her around and and she came on board and. Uh, we were all very thankful for that. Well, I'm very thankful for it too because, like I said, I think the performance is fantastic and I really do hope to a lot of, like, international casting agencies to see what she does in this film because I think it's just uh, fantastic, really is. Um, I want to talk about another actor as well, Nicholas Fagerberg. He plays the, the role of Hugo, who's the drug runner I mentioned in my summary. How did you go about casting him? And um, uh, and I've got to say, like, Hugo has got a – I mean, Nicholas has a very kind of unique look um tall lanky he's got the hair all that kind of stuff was that something that really kind of appealed to you as well in regards to casting him for this character yeah i mean um he was very difficult to cast as well we saw um because we're very restricted in terms of of budget it wasn't the sort of film that we could go out to a named actor and also we knew that considering all of the people in in the crew and the production were were unknown we knew that you know, drawing someone out to another continent without like big bucks or or a big production would have been difficult. So we did a lot of auditions here here in Britain and 
and saw a number of people who who were decent but not brilliant um and didn't have that sort of char- charisma and charm the charm was was very important to me um and uh w- the guy who plays um spiral matt the the dodgy gangster who yep. is at the beginning of the film um he's actually really really helpful when you're doing production so he was offering me ideas and he'd worked with with Nicholas um, on some other stuff. And he was like, this is the guy you've got to get this guy. He's brilliant for the role. And, and he was it. He's Swedish and was in Sweden at the time. So I did a couple of auditions with him via zoom and I thought he was very good, but I said to him, I was like, look, you know, we're now up to the final round. If, if I, if you, I'm going to cast you, I really need you to come over here because I can't possibly work with an actor I've never met face to face. And, um, and he was, he was like, look, I really like the role. I I'm going to come. Um, and I was like, you know, if I don't cast you, I can't pay for your ticket or anything. He was like, I'll just come anyway. Mm. And he came and he was amazing in the audition, far better than anyone else who'd made it through that far. And, I was very keen. I was very keen to cast him. The only, the only thing that was that was pretty annoying was um, he was meant to be English at the beginning, and I did ask Nicholas. I was like, "Can you do an English accent, not just a, an American accent?" And he was like, "Yeah, sure, no problem." And then once I'd cast him, he he turned around to me and said, "Look, you know, I've lived in LA for like two years, so an American accent's fine, but..." I'm never going to be able to pull off an English accent. Mm. And me and the producer, Davey, David Cecil, we were like, oh, oh, bollocks. And so we had to sort of rewrite all the bollocks and the uh, in the script and change everything so that it didn't have that sort of English um, Englishness to it. And uh, that was slightly annoying, but uh, he came through in the end, so that was good. I got to ask the thing that brings all these characters together is this flower, um, Bulu. Um, is there any significance to the color blue when it comes to your uh, movie, or is that something that's just kind of uh, you know just just kind of came about? Um, and is there kind of like an actual flower um, in Uganda that kind of uh, uh, inspired uh, uh, the the flower in your film? Like, did you come across a field of these flowers and thought, oh, they'll be all right for a movie one day? Um, no, I mean, I guess. The idea of blue sort of permeates through cinema as this color that's connected to the future. Mm. So I think part of it came from from that. Maybe um, it wasn't a sort of conscious decision to be like, "I'm definitely picking. I'm definitely picking blue here." Um, once we'd pick, once we'd picked the color, though, me and the DP worked very hard to try and pull it out of any other scenes that we had in the film so that when you saw it on screen, the blue, it would pop out. And we were reasonably successful in that. Sometimes it was just too difficult. Um, There are, the flower doesn't exist. Um, We wanted something that looked very unique. And me and the production designer, um, we found this a flower called the fire flower that's red, actually. Um, yeah. And so it has this brilliant form, but it's red. So the production designer had to 
pick loads of these flowers and then individually spray them all blue. Mm. And then we needed to shoot quickly enough that they didn't look like they were dying. Right, right. Well, it looks actually pretty, very good, uh, excellent on, on, on film, actually. I didn't, couldn't even tell that at all. Um, when it comes to, you know, this blue flower, blue, it gives the user like a grand stem visions of their future. When it comes to how you wanted to construct that for screen, for a screen, did you have like a multitude of ideas of how you thought it might look on screen? I mean, the way we have it now in the movie is kind of like, honestly, it's, it's kind of like um, collage, like just scatter kind of imagery. Uh, did you kind of like go through like different type of uh, ways that you, you it could look on screen in considering kind of like, you know, budgetary restrictions and such is that an easy thing to do trying to put together what a vision of the future might look like for your movie um i mean the idea was always that you know by by using visions of the future you could use and shoot material like uh, actually rather than having to create anything um on the computer and but i didn't have a specific idea until i started talking to my dp about it um, and me and me and my DP Ezekiel Romero, we we tested out a number of things and we shot ideas. So we shot test sequences of the future. And while we were doing it, he came up with this idea of detaching the lens. And we just loved the look of it because mm. we felt that this sort of soft focus not only gave this feeling that you were seeing something that wasn't current but it enabled us to merge images a lot easier than if we were going something that was like really tight and in focus so um so i have to give him a lot of props for for that it's kind of it was kind of mainly his idea the way of shooting that um i was reading a um, director statement you put out uh, on your um on the film's website and it said you guys had to contend with tropical storms biting ants leeches insects that laid on your feet uh, uh um all, all sorts of kind of stuff during this um, shooting schedule um sounds very brutal but at the end all worth it right oh yeah completely i mean there were times when it was terrible, especially, you know, when one of the actors got ill. There are so many sort of tropical diseases that might lay someone out for months at a time. And, you know, when you're coming up against stuff that you're like, what on earth was that? Like wriggling between my toes or whatever. Um, then it does become pretty scary. But, uh, you know, the... The important thing was that we were with locals all the time mm. and our crew was mainly made up of locals. So whenever there was something that we were worried about, we'd just speak to the people around us and they'd find a solution. So, you know, we we're out in the jungle and I was obviously concerned that, you know, if the actors were running around, there was the possibility they could be bitten by snakes. But you speak to some locals and they're very aware of what to do to, you know, shake up the ground so that, you know, any 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 snakes would come out at that point And then you can sort of walk around a bit safer. So, yeah, there was huge challenges. But, you know, you look at the sort of terrain, you look at what we were able to do. We built a we built a church in the middle of this village. Um, we built sets. We, you know, we were able to to get locals involved and um and and pay everyone and on a sort of indie film I, I think that's that's very hard to do so i think on balance we're actually very lucky 
Can you tell me about the feature film apprenticeship program that you have going on there? I, I'd imagine that Imperial Blue was kind of like the launching pad for that, where you can have kind of like more experienced people in the industry, mentor up and coming um, crew and filmmakers in Uganda. Red, um, with Imperial Blue behind you, is the goal to have future productions continue this kind of work in having uh, community engagement with cast and crew and other um, industries as well in Uganda in making feature films? Yeah, for sure. I mean, so David Cecil still lives there uh, and alongside the Ugandan producer Semelima Daniel Katenda, they've started a production company. Um, they're currently making music videos um, and shorts and um, David's working with um, a couple of up-and-coming Ugandan directors and screenwriters to work on the next project. Uh, the idea, hopefully, is that, you know, one of them will come up with a really good script that that they're direct, um, you know, and then we'll be able to, to once again bring a very limited crew over, make something that's that's of a decent quality and try and get it out there. Um, everything's just been a lot slower than we thought it would be. The, the distribution of the film has actually been very hard, um, mm. much harder than I expected it to be. Yeah, I mean, I talk to independent filmmakers from all around the world and distribution is the number one thing that's the biggest uh, difficulty. But you got the, the film out there now. For people out there, Imperial Blue, out now on digital. Um, you can check it out, iTunes, Amazon in the UK. You can watch it on Sky Store as well. Um, and also be sure to check out imperialbluefilm.com and Imperial Blue Film on Facebook. The Facebook page is excellent, by the way. Um, Thanks. There's always updates there. I see now that you have a um, soundtrack um, out as well, and I imagine that's um, comprised of um, local artists in Uganda. Uh, yeah, that was, um, once again, Ugandans working uh, with um, Westerners, so um, in various ways. So the two composers, one's a, a Scott um, who lives here in London, David Bryceland. And he was working with a Ugandan composer, Albert Sempeki. And together they were getting stuff going. And then we had uh, dub projects and hip hop projects where a lot of the producers of the instrumentals would be um, British. Um, and then the, the rappers or the MCs would be Ugandan. So um, all the way through, we were trying to create these sort of collaborations. Well, it's really impressive Facebook page there, always up to date. So people, please do check it out and make sure you check out the film as well, Imperial Blue and Dan Marshall. Congratulations to you in regards to the film and best of luck in the future, especially everything um, that you and your production uh, partners are doing and uh, Uganda. It's really inspiring stuff. So um, thank you very much. Thanks a lot, Matt.